Good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you all. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Nate. My wife is Deb over there. We go together, um, almost exclusively referred to as Nate and Deb. So might as well introduce her at the same time. It is so, so good to be with you all. As Brandon said, I'm one of the pastors at Soma Northwest. And before I say anything else, I just have to express to all of you how thankful we at Northwest are for this church. This is home for us. Uh, this is where we <laughs> became so deeply involved in SOMA. I don't even know how many years ago now, 2013 or whatever it was. And over the last year, you guys have in so many ways, uh, through the Spirit, have sustained us. It's weird to be here this morning because we were actually meeting here while you all were down at the fairgrounds. So somebody's like, oh, has it been a while? It's like, actually, it feels like, like three weeks ago I was just here, uh, but you weren't. But we were, and we are so grateful because I don't know how we would have survived, how our little church would have survived the pandemic without your generosity, without you guys allowing us to meet here. So from the bottom of my heart, on behalf of everybody at Soma Northwest, all the brothers and sisters, thank you. We love you. And I am so, so glad to be with you here this morning. Uh, I wore my nicest shirt. <laughs> that is not as funny as you think it is. We, got a long, we have a long way to go and a short time to get there this morning. Uh, so if you would, flip with me to John chapter 9, that's 951, and these red Bibles that you have there on your seat. If you do not have a Bible, please take this with you. That is our gift to you. And I'm going to warn you that we will also be spending most of our time uh, on page 1082, which is 1 John 1. So we're going to bounce between two passages this morning, John 9 and 1 John 1. So that's 951. If you want to stick a finger in 1082, uh, it would serve you well. So this morning, we are going to talk about a really powerful and significant encounter with Jesus. And we're going to talk about it from the perspective of John. John was Jesus's, most likely his youngest disciple, right? He was maybe 15, 16 years old. So all of you guys who are involved in student ministry, keep in mind, that's how old some of the disciples were. Some of the folks that were walking with Jesus that wrote the scriptures, they were kids. Most of them were very young men. John was probably a teenager. So as you read this story and you hear the story, keep in mind, John's writing this Many years, right? Maybe 65 years after it happened. John is most likely the last of the apostles still alive. Everybody else has been martyred. All his friends are gone. Jesus is gone. And at the end, John is taking time to write to believers who have never seen, had never heard Jesus, never met Jesus. And he's writing about his best friend 65 years later. And he's like, this is what it was like to be with him. This is what it was like to be in his presence. So he writes the Gospel of John, most likely after Mark, Matthew, Luke, those are all written. And John's like, hey, there's still more to tell. There's so much to tell, I could fill the whole world with books about him. But I want to write these things to you so you know what it's like to have life in Jesus, to know him, because I walked with him. And then he writes his letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and he's doing the same thing. He's saying, hey, guys, you all are young, <laughs> you all are new, you, you've just heard about him, but I walked with him. I'm maybe the last guy alive 
who knew him as he walked the earth, and this is what it was like. And the important thing that we're going to remember this morning as we go through John 9, as we talk about 1 John, is that life with Jesus then was the same as life with Jesus now. That's what John wants us to know. He wants us to know that what it was like to walk with him as a 15-year-old kid, as a 16-year-old kid, what it was like to travel around and be with him and be in his presence and hear from him, that that is the same experience that we can have now. So John 9 starts out and he says, as he passed by, so he's talking about Jesus, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I want you to know, I could spend the whole morning in John 9. I probably should. It's an amazing, amazing passage. This is like one of the most important questions of all time. Why do bad things happen? Who screwed up that bad things happen, right? The disciples ask the question everybody's always asking, whose fault is this? Who sinned, this man or his parents? That's, those are our two options. It's a binary question, Right? Who, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. There's a lot there, and I'm not going to even touch it this morning. Look at John 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And I want us to think and dwell on this concept and think about it from John's point of view. He's just a kid, and Jesus is saying, hey, we got to work while it's day, while the light's shining. I'm the light of the world. And then to just drive the nail right there on the head, he says, having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. John is the only one who records this miracle in this way. And it's because in this moment, John's own eyes get opened. And he, realize, he realizes, this man helps me see. He helps me see things as they really are. He is like light in the darkness. And that idea captures John's heart as a young man, as just a kid. It captures him, it consumes him, and it chases him the whole rest of his life. And so now if you flip with me to 1 John chapter 1, you're going to see what John thinks about when he thinks about that day that Jesus opened the eyes of the man born blind. When he thinks about that day when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, this is what he says then to us. This is what this means for us. This is how this changes and affects us. 1 John 1, uh, page 1082. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John wants you to know, I am making truth claims. I am making fact claims. I'm not talking about metaphors. I'm not talking about ghosts. I'm not talking about an idea. I am talking about a real physical man. I saw him. I touched him with my hands. I experienced him. I looked upon him. This is real and legitimate. And listen, the whole world has to wrestle with this idea. The scriptures make really clear truth, factual claims about Jesus. He was either who he 
said he was. He was either a physical man who did these things that there were witnesses to, or the whole thing is shot. There's no metaphors going on here. Jesus was real and physical, and John says, I saw him and I touched him, and I know you haven't. I know you heard about him from somebody else, but I want you to know he was real. I saw him. He was my best friend. The Gospels called John the disciple that Jesus loved. He was the runt. He was the kid. He was the baby of the group, and Jesus loved him. And he knew what it was like to walk with Jesus, to see him touch a man and open his eyes. He knew what that felt like. It felt like a 15-year-old kid walking along with his hero, seeing the world open up. And John says, hey, guys, I want you to know The life was made manifest, verse 2, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that we have seen and heard that that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete." And he's writing it to you, and he's writing it to me just as much as he was writing to people in the first century. He's like, I saw it. I experienced it. And I want you to have that fellowship. I want you to feel what I feel about this man. I want you to experience what I experienced. I want our fellowship, our communion, our connection to be complete. Verse 5. He says, this is the message which we heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There it is. When John's writing this, when he's sitting down 65, 75 years later, near the end of his life, before he's he's already probably in exile, he's very likely to be martyred himself. These are the last most important things. And he's thinking back to this day when Jesus opened the blind man's eyes and he says, I'm the light of the world. And now John repeats all those years later. This is the message we heard from him. And now we proclaim it to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Here's the thing about walking in the light. We have turned this into sort of a metaphor for doing good things and doing bad things, right? If you do good things, you're walking in the light. If you do bad things, you're walking in the darkness. That's not really the metaphor that John is using because that's not really the metaphor that Jesus was using. Jesus was saying, you do work while it's light because you can see things as they really are. Walking in the light means that we are people whose eyes are open, who see the world for what it is that we are not fooled, we are not confused, we are not stumbling, stumbling around lost. It's not about doing good things and bad things. It's about being clear-eyed. It's about living in the light that Jesus is spreading over the world that reveals what's really going on. We live in, an, in a day, in an era of constant confusion. People lie to us all the time. Our institutions lie to us. Our politicians lie to us. They lie sometimes thousands of times a day, and we walk around confused. Christians, honestly, at this point in time, are some of the worst and most confused people there are because we collectively 
are not walking in the light and seeing the world as it really is. And John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have relationship, connection, communion with one another because we are all seeing the same thing. We're all going through this time where we experience, when we all experience the friction and the fracture of our relationships because we do not all see the same thing. We are not seeing the world as it really is. And we see it on our social media accounts, and we see it in our families, and we see it in our homes, and we see it with our friends, we see it at school, we see it at work. We don't see the same thing. We're not living in fellowship and communion. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In other words, if you see the world as it really is, the first thing you see when you step into the light is who you are. When you step into the light, you realize really quickly, oh, no. This is what I am. There was no way for John to avoid it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being a 15, 16 year old kid walking with Jesus? Look, you take any 15 or 16 year old kid and you walk along with them and they say do stupid stuff, like almost constantly. I got really great kids, they're super smart, and they still say and do dumb things. They're not even gonna be mad at me for saying that. It's just a fact of life. But could you imagine? If you were doing those things in front of Jesus, one second you're walking along with Jesus and he's like, love your neighbor. And he's like, let's call down fire on these people. This is what it was like to be John. And Jesus just made it clear because he was the light. He exposed all these things. You couldn't walk with him for three years and not have a good sense of who you were. And who you are is a sinner, and who you are is not great. And so John says, look, if we're going around being like, I've got all the answers, I've got it figured out, I'm perfect, I've got no sin, trust me, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us because he is light. You see, being in the light isn't, doesn't mean I don't do bad things. John says just the opposite. We do do bad things. And when we're in the light, we acknowledge it. We own it. We call it for what it is. It's sin. It's departure from him. His light exposes, illuminates, clarifies, shows us the world as it really is. He goes on, 1 John 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John's bringing out this contradiction, right? He says, look, I don't want you to sin. Being in the light is not a free pass to be like, I get to do whatever I want. It's not a free pass to do that at all. It's an, it exposes us so that we see how we need to change. That's why he says, I don't want you to sin. I'm writing this so that you're not going to sin when you're walking in the light. It's really hard, although the disciples managed to do it a few times, it's really hard to be walking with Jesus side by side with him and go around and punch somebody in the side of the head, right? That's harder to do, and this is kind of John's point. I don't want you to sin. If you do, no. You have a sacrifice. Verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him. So how do we know? 
that we're in the light? How do we know that it's Jesus we're seeing? How do we know that we actually have that relationship with him? Because I don't know about you guys, but so many of us are just anchored with doubt and this thought of, what if it's not real? I mean, let's just say the quiet part out loud. I know there's many of you in here that are thinking, what if this isn't real? What if my faith isn't real? What if I'm not really saved? What if, what if he hasn't really picked me? What if, what if, what if, what if? And those can become this churning, grinding gears. And John's going to speak to this directly. He says, this is how we know we have come to know him. And <clears throat> verse 3 is one of these verses that I, I don't, our translations are very good. They're very, 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 very good. Don't let people put you on the train. We're like, I can't trust our translation. It's not true. By the way, this is the way most people talk. When I, most people talk in a high-pitched, weird voice. <laughs> They're very good. But this is a case in which our translation doesn't bring out the sense of the word that it really means. It says, by this we have come to know that, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And some versions will translate that, obey his commandments. It's, I, I don't like it. It's not right. It's not the full sense of that meaning, because a lot of us will be like, I don't obey his commandments. I sin all the time. John just told me that if I say I don't sin, I'm a liar. Now I'm really caught because I feel like I sin all the time. And if I'm sinning all the time, then I'm not keeping his commandments. So maybe I don't know Jesus. But what this word really means, this word keep, this word obey, it's much more to obsess over, to focus on. It's the word you'd use to guard a prisoner. And if you know anything about Roman times, if a guard let a prisoner escape, that was it, right? If you remember uh, Paul in the Philippian jail, right? And they sing a song, earthquake, and the jailer's like, I'm going to kill myself because these guys are going to escape. And Paul's like, no, it's okay. And that jailer ends up coming to Christ. Because to let your prisoner go meant death. This word that John's using By this we know we've come to know him if we keep. It really means if we are obsessed with, if we are focused on, if we have trained all of our mind and attention on his commandments. How do you know you know Jesus? If you're thinking about what he told you to do all the time. And we're going to get to what he told us to do here in a second. This is also not as burdensome as it seems. But it's not you know you know Jesus if you're doing everything perfectly. It's more that you know you know Jesus if you're thinking about what Jesus said all the time. Listen, if you never think about what Jesus commanded, and again, we'll get to what he commanded in a minute. If you're never thinking about it, if it never crosses your mind, that's probably worrisome. But if you're thinking about it, if you're obsessed with it, if if you're staring at it intently, if you know your life depends on it, if you're watching it like your life depends on it, you can know that you know him. Verse uh. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments as a liar, and the truth is not in him. Look, really simply, we can test who's lying to us and who's not. There's lots of people out there right now that are like, I know him. I know Jesus. I'm all aboard the Jesus train. But we watch their life, and they don't keep his commandments. And again, we'll get to what those are. And we can know, oh, this is a liar. I don't need to listen to this person. This person's life does not line up with what they say they know. John's actually kind of making a lot of this really simple on us. He's saying there's light, and it's Jesus, and we can see things plainly. And one of the things that we can see are people who say, I'm fallen, I'm broken, I'm sinful, I screw up, 
Those are people that are seeing the world as it is. People who say, I'm awesome. I've got it. You can trust me. I don't do anything wrong. Those are people we can't trust because they don't see the world as it is. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, again, whoever is obsessed about his word, in him, truly, the love of God is perfected, has reached its completion, has reached its destination. The love of God has become what it's supposed to be. By this, we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walked. Again, think about John as that kid, that 15-year-old kid. How did he know he was with Jesus? He was with Jesus. <laughs> right? How did he abide just means remain, to be with. How do you know you're being with Jesus? Because you're with Jesus. And John's like, it's the same thing then as it is now. If you're walking with Jesus, you're going to the places Jesus went. You're doing the things Jesus did. You're hanging out with him. You're talking to him. You're listening to his word. It's the same thing. John's like, I was just a kid, and I followed him around. Verse 7, beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment. Here we go. We're going to get to what the commandments are. No new commandment, but an old commandment you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you heard. John's directly calling back to the last night he spent with his best friend. He's directly calling back to when Jesus told the disciples, I give you a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. And John's now, all these years later, ironically saying, ah, this isn't new, this is old. This is very, very old. It's the word you heard from the beginning. Verse 8, at the same time, it's a new commandment I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. John's realizing when Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world, he meant it, and it was true. And John's saying, hey, the light's shining. Jesus is already, he's already has authority and dominion. And his light is shining in the darkness. As long as it may last, it's passing away. Verse 9, whoever says he's in the light and hates, looks at with contempt or detest or disgust. Whoever says he's in the, the light and hates his brother is in darkness. You can't walk with Jesus. You can't be with him physically present and look down on Look at with contempt. Who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he was born blind? That's what the disciples were doing. They were looking down at this blind guy and were like, somebody really screwed up. That's terrible. That must be terrible to live like that. And Jesus is like, no, nobody sinned. This is for God's glory. These are the things that John's got running through his mind as he writes this. Whoever says he's in light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides, remains, stays in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. When we love our brothers, when we look at people with love and mercy and compassion, we are living in the light because we are realizing that they are in need of the same grace that we've received because we are sinners, because we are broken. And some of this stuff sounds so simple, right? It, it sounds so basic, and I think John means it to. I think he means it to be like, hey, don't overthink this. Love people, remain in the light. And it's become easy to think of love as a squishy thing. Like, oh, well, they just talk about love all the time. 
Look, it's very central to what we're supposed to do. Loving people does not make you a squish. Loving people does not make you, you know, uh, I can only think of Spanish words right now. Flojo is the word. It's like loose. It's like loose. You're not loose with your theology or your doctrine because you love people. You're walking in the light because you love people. Verse 11, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Look, this is the way most people live life. We're running around lost and confused, tripping over each other, hating each other, angry, so angry all the time all the time. So angry. Why don't they see it? Why don't they understand? Why don't they just do it? Why, why are they all so duped? Why are they sheeple, right? This is the way we, people walk around just tied up and twisted, and it leads to contempt and disgust and just hatred towards each other. And John's like, if you walk in the light, you'll love your brother. If you see the world as it really is, you'll look at them and you'll be like, oh my gosh, they're so broken. They're so confused. They're so lost. And so was I. And that's where the ability to love comes from. It comes from seeing the world as it really is, of recognizing the grace that we've received, the brokenness that we have, the grace that we've received, and then extending that out to everybody else because that's walking like Jesus walked. Hating people isn't the same thing as calling things the way they are, right? When we call out what the world, what, what's going on in our own hearts, when we say this is how things are, that sometimes makes people mad. It makes people feel more lost. And if that calling out is accompanied with detest and disgust, who sinned, you or your parents? What's wrong with you? Look how far back this goes in your life. You're doing all these stupid things, and that came from all these other places. If that's what we're walking around doing, that's not living in the light. But when we live in the light, we can call things as they are. I'm going to jump ahead just a bit, and we're going to finish up. Uh, skipping ahead to First uh, John 3, 11. John doubles down on all this, right? For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. There it is, real simple, real straightforward. You want to know what you should be obsessed over? Keep my commands. How do you know you know Jesus? Because you keep his commands. How do you know what you're supposed to stare at and look at and hold on to like your whole life depended on it? Like everything rests on this one thing. Like you're going to lose your life if you don't do this thing. Here it is. Love one another. You know you know Jesus if you're obsessed with how can I love my brothers? We shouldn't be like Cain, verse 12, who was the, of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Who does, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Again, John's remembering the Sermon on the Mount. He's remembering what Jesus said. You've heard it say, don't murder, but I've said everyone who says, you fool, right? 
is, danger, is in danger of the fire of hell. This is what Jesus is trying to say. It's not just the things that we do. It's our attitudes. Sin comes from in here. It's not the outworking. It's not just the stabbing. It's the hatred. It's the things that we feel and think. Moving on, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid his life down for us, and we also ought lay our lives down for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart, shuts the, literally shuts the door of his guts, right? When you see your brother in need, you're just like, I do not care. I don't. It's your fault. It's your problem. You deal with it. This is not for me to deal with. I close the door of my guts. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Our faith is a faith of fact claims. We are making historical, verifiable fact claims. We are saying, a man named Jesus Christ lived in the flesh, performed miracles, died for our sins, rose again. We are making fact claims that he has regenerated and renewed us. We are making fact claims when we say he gives us the power from his spirit to love one another, to do good in the world, to spread his kingdom and his gospel. These are fact claims and they ought to be verifiable. Don't love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. If, we can't, if no one can verify our love for our brothers, if no one can look at our lives individually and collectively and be like, yes, they love their brothers, they love people, then we're liars, and no one should take us seriously. By this we shall know, verse 19, that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Again, what if, what if, what if? Some of the the, the people I know that love Jesus the most spin and feel anxiety and anxiousness over this question, this what if, what if, what if, what if, it's, what if it's not real? What if he doesn't really love me? What if I don't really love him? How do I know? By this we shall know we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. We are not trying to convince God to love us. We are trying to convince ourselves that God loves us. He loved us first. He taught us what love is. He taught us what love is when he laid his life down for us. And he said, lay your lives down for each other. So if you are loving the brothers, if you are loving people, you can have confidence and you can know, I don't need to convince God to love me. John didn't need to convince Jesus to love him. John didn't need to do anything to make Jesus like him. Jesus saw him. Jesus knew who he was. John 2.20, Jesus did not need man's testimony about men, for he knew what was in a man. He knew who John was. He knew who he was, and he showed John who he was because he was the light, and he loved him anyway. And he loved him so much. And you guys, you guys are John. You guys are that kid. You're that goofy kid hanging around with Jesus. And I know you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to screw this up and he's not going to like me anymore. But that's not how it works. 
John knew that's not how it works. It's silly when you think about it. Because any of you who have ever been around goofy kids that you just love, you know how Jesus must have loved him. And you know that Jesus knew who he really was. And you're that kid and he knows who you are. No, you're not awesome. You're a goofy, skinny, screwed up kid who says and does stupid things in front of Jesus all the time. And he's not angry about it. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He's crazy about you. We're the disciple that Jesus loves. We know this because he laid his life down for us. So we can lay down the anxiety of how do I know? How do I know if he really loves me? He loves you. He's that into you. He really is. And he loves all of us. And you know you're of him when you're loving other people because that's not what people do. People don't love other people. People don't take care of other people. They stumble around in the dark hating people. And if we are loving, then we have the security to know that must be coming from somewhere that's not us. It must be coming because we're thinking about his commandments, because we're obsessed with them, because we know that life and death depend on them. 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence. We can be plain spoken and direct before God. We can just tell him, just talk to him confidently because we're in the light. We know he knows all the stuff. And whenever we receive, we ask, we receive because we keep his commandment and <coughs> do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of the, his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he's commanded. What is it we're supposed to obsess about? What is it we're supposed to guard and hang on to like our whole world depended on it? Believing in Jesus and loving one another. I am not here this morning to bring you guys these big things or these complex things. John makes it pretty simple. Believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. And if we obsess about that, we think about it, we hold on to it, John says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and he in them. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. I'm going to bring this home real quick because I think it's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. The applications for this are not hard, in my opinion. Number one, obsess over his commandments. Keep his commandments. Love one another in word and deed. John says that means sharing our material goods, something that I know this church has done abundantly and richly and well. Lay your life down for each other. Give up your preferences, sacrifice, put other people's needs ahead of your own. Lay it down. Love like he loved. Again, these things aren't squishy. They don't make you weak. They don't make you one of the libs if you do these things. This is just basic. Love one another, obsess over it, and believe in Jesus. That's it. These are his commands. They're not burdensome. They're not hard. Believe in him and start loving each other. Second application, when you let contempt dominate your life, you aren't walking with Jesus. If you feel the anger and the contempt just take over, and listen, it happens to me all the time. I open Facebook, I read stuff, I get irrationally angry. I turn on the news, I listen to politicians, I get irrationally angry. I get it, I feel it. But if we let contempt dominate us, then we're not walking with him. It's really hard 
to walk alongside Jesus and be angry all the time. He's going to call you on it. In fact, he did that to John. Let's call down fire and burn him. Jesus is like, John, no. I love you so much, but no. Right? Don't let contempt dominate your life. Replace contempt with love. Number three, your feelings aren't facts. How you feel about God, how you feel about God and whether you feel like God loves you, it is personal and it's, and it's painful and that matters to you, but it, honestly, it's not really relevant because God loves you. He loves you. He showed you what love was first. He did everything first. You don't have to worry about making him love you. And you may feel like he doesn't love you, but I'm telling you, he does love you. And there comes a point where we have to take the assurance of the fact that we love our brothers, that we're obsessed over the truth, and we have to realize that's truth and reject the untrue things we believe. And the idea that God doesn't love me is one of those lies, and we got to let it go. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's real. Finally, don't be a slave to law. Don't be a slave to law. Don't believe, if I do all the right things, if I follow all the right rules, then God will love me better. John says, these are, these are Jesus' commandments. Believe in Jesus and love the brothers. That's what you need to be obsessed over. Doing every jot and tittle correctly. Being like, I don't have any sin. I'm perfect. I've got it all together. That's actually the path in darkness. That actually means you don't know Jesus that well. When you say, actually, I sin, I have to confess it, I have to go to my advocate, and all I'm trying to do is believe in him and love people, that's when you know you're walking in light. So don't let law dominate your life. This is our time. We come to this time of communion, right? We celebrate his body and his blood. We celebrate that he taught us how to love, that his sacrifice cleansed our sins, that he now advocates for us, and that we have communion, fellowship with one another. And we have fellowship with John. That's why he said he wrote this, so that we could have fellowship with one another. So uh, if you will, I'm going to pray <coughs> for the body and the blood. And um, remember him. Remember that he taught us how to love. Remember what he sacrificed. And obsess over it. <laughs> Think about it. Hold on to it like your life depended on it. Because walking with Jesus then is the same as walking with Jesus now. It means you're in the light and you see the world as it really is. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, thank you for loving skinny, stupid kids. Thank you for never being surprised or disappointed in the things that we do. Thank you for showing us how to love. Thank you for showing us how to lay our lives down. We remember your body, we remember your blood, and we love you so, so much. Amen.